You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together this afternoon in connection with Lord's Day 43 and the Ninth Commandment. We turn first of all to Proverbs chapter 15, the verses 1 to 7. As you may know, Proverbs has a great deal to say about many issues in everyday life, and one of the things that Proverbs speaks about a lot is how we use our tongues and how we use our words. And here in the beginning of chapter 15, you have a number of pertinent points to consider and to apply to your life. Proverbs 15, 1-7, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. A fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. The house of the righteous contains great treasure, but the income of the wicked brings them trouble. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. Then we turn to James chapter 3. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape vine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. We've come this afternoon to the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And to that end, we'll look at the Heidelberg Catechism, how it explains this particular commandment from the Scriptures You find that summarized in question and answer 112. What is required in the ninth commandment? I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, 
or condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have you ever been to court? Have you ever been called to the witness stand? Have you ever been ushered to the front and asked to place your hand on the Bible and to swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Chances are that not many of you have had that particular experience. I suspect that any number of you have been called upon to do jury duty, but probably far fewer of you have been called to take the stand to bear witness, whether it's in a civil or other kind of case of law. And as a result, many of you may think that the Ninth Commandment has little to do with you. After all, the Ninth Commandment says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And that, of course, is the language of the courts of legal proceedings of coming before the judge. So if I've never been there, how does this apply to me? And that, of course, is a good question. But it can be a wrong conclusion. For while it is true that the language of the Ninth Commandment is legal language, we need to understand the scope of this commandment, and we need to realize that it is not limited or restricted in any way to the courts or just to legal dealings. So you need to understand that, once again, God, as he formulates these commandments, is getting at a larger area of our human life. You know, just as the mention of parents in the fifth commandment opens the door to the whole world of human relationships and authority, and just as the sixth commandment moves beyond murder to life in general, and just as the seventh commandment uses adultery to get at marriage and human sexuality, And just as we saw last time, as the Eighth Commandment uses stealing to get at money and all manners or matters financial, so the Ninth Commandment mentions false witness in order to speak out on words and human language. And so what does this commandment say with respect to language? Well, it warns us you might say, to speak carefully. And that's also the theme for this afternoon, which is very simple. Watch your language. My beloved, before we get into the whole matter of the abuse of language, we first need to stop for a moment, and we need to reflect on language itself, and we need to realize that in so many ways, language is a real gift. 
And indeed, I suspect that in all of this talk about false witness, gossip, and slander, we, we often forget about the larger picture and, and we take this whole aspect for granted. And indeed, we tend to do that, of course, with a lot of other things as well. Take the ability to see. As long as we have it, we think it's normal, it's natural, it's ordinary. We hardly ever seem to give it a second thought. But the moment our eyesight is affected in one way or another negatively, or the moment that it suddenly stops to function at all, we realize just how great a gift it is. And you know, that applies to our ability to hear, to walk, to think, And I might add that same thing applies also to our ability to speak. You know, that ability to speak, to form words, to construct sentences, to to bring paragraphs together, to have a language or any number of languages at your disposal is a huge gift. Just imagine if you can, being without it. Imagine if you couldn't speak. That's like being a prisoner in your own body. And your whole life, your existence, your humanity would be drastically and negatively affected. And therefore I say to you, all of you who can speak, who can express yourself, all of you who can verbalize your thoughts and who can share them with others, all of you who can speak and communicate, rejoice. Treasure this gift. Yes, and it is a gift. It's not an accident. It's not a biological mutation. It's not a happy evolutionary accident. No speech, words, language, it's all a gift, but then a gift from God. For I would remind you that God, and James points that out as well in James chapter 3, that when God made you in the beginning, he made you in his image, in his likeness. And what this means is that when he made you, he made you to reflect himself. And even more than that, you can say he made you to share in him. To share in any number of his abilities. Seeing, thinking, hearing, inventing, communicating, understanding, and more are all given to us by Him. He had all these qualities first. Indeed, He's always had them. He's always had them perfectly. He had them, but then at a certain moment in time, He decided to share them. And He gave them to us. And now, of course, that is not to say that we share in all of God's qualities. There are some things that we do not share in. We are not infinite. We don't know everything. We don't see everything. We don't have all kinds of power at our disposal. No, after all, He is the Creator and we are the creatures. He is the potter and we are the clay. He is the maker and we are the made. Oh, and how this God He uses speech. He uses speech, for example, to create. 
to make, to call into existence. Think of Genesis 1 verse 3 and those words, and God said, which echoes like a refrain through those opening chapters of the Bible. Before every creative act takes place, God speaks, God commands, He orders. His words form the heavens and the earth, everything in them and all upon them. The psalmist says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. The world is the result of God speaking. And we are the result, not just of God speaking, but also of his breathing. He breathed into man the breath of life. Yes, and the same thing, beloved, applies to salvation as well. Imagine for a moment if God had spoken and created, but that's it. No more. Imagine if he had never bothered to verbalize anything about himself or about his will about his love, mercy, grace, forgiveness, salvation. Imagine having to deal with a silent heaven. What a disaster. But you know, that's the kind of disaster that many people in the past and and many people today are, are living under. If they believe in a God, he is invariably a God who doesn't speak, who doesn't make his will known, who doesn't let us get close to him at all. And as far as most people are concerned, there is a God, but he's silent. Or if he's not silent, he's a noble. And of course, such a God is hard to live with, so people devise their own ways of reaching out to Him. And they invent special rituals and incantations and ceremonies and and amulets. And do you see where I'm going with this? How thankful we should be that we believe in a God who speaks. A God who spoke at the very beginning and a God who has been speaking throughout the ages and a God who is still speaking today. Who's still revealing himself through his word. Who's still revealing himself through his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thankfully, we don't have to crawl up to him if we could. But he has come down to us and revealed himself. And we should rejoice in that fact. What a treasure it is to have the Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures. It turns our darkness into light. Oh, and how thankful as well, beloved, that through that written word of God, we may come to the incarnate word. God, the great communicator, 
has done a lot of communicating throughout the centuries, but in the end he has done it best through his son, Jesus Christ. It's no accident that John calls him the Word. And it's no trivial thing when the author of the letter to the Hebrews opens with these words, in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. And so, beloved, when it comes to the ninth commandment, the first thing you and I need to do is we need to embrace the gift. The gift of speech that God has given us. We need to love this God who speaks to us still every day. We need to read the Bible because it's His Word. We need to delve into it more and more in order to be drawn ever closer to Jesus Christ, the living Word made flesh. We need to beseech the Spirit to give it the power to penetrate into our hearts and to shape our minds and our wills. So count your blessings. But something else as well. Realize that just like the fall into sin has adversely affected your ability to think perfectly and to see totally and to hear completely, it has also damaged your ability to speak faultlessly. That's why you get those words in James 3 about starting forest fires. And that's also why you have this warning commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Notice, this commandment first of all turns our attention, as we said earlier, to what happens in courts and before the bar of human justice. And you might wonder, why does the commandment, for example, say you you shall not Testify falsely, or you shall not lie, or something like that, or you shall use your words correctly, or you shall always speak the truth. Why does the commandment say you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor? And I suspect the reason why God formulated it this way is because crooked words often do their worst damage in the context of legal dealings of the courts. I bring to you the case of Naboth. That's the fellow who was so unfortunate as to live beside King Ahab. And it was also so unfortunate as to have a lovely vineyard. And you know, Ahab wanted, he coveted that that vineyard, and he tried to buy it off Naboth, and Naboth said, no thanks, I'm not selling it. It's always been in the family. It's going to stay in the family. It's not for sale. And that, of course, represented a really disappointing answer to King Ahab, but not for his wife Jezebel, who knew how to always figure something out. So she hires some shady characters to lie under oath about the religiosity of Naboth. 
And those crooked lies under oaths result in Naboth getting stoned to death. If you thought that words never hurt, you should ask Naboth. Well, what about our Lord Jesus Christ? How was he finally put to death? What was the the legal underpinning of his death sentence? Well, it was the fact that the Jewish leaders went out to hire a few guys who accused him falsely with regard to certain elements of his teaching. And because of that false testimony, there was a legal basis to put him and to nail him to a cross. And so it was sin against the ninth commandment that cost our Savior his life. And those are about two examples, and you can cite many, many more. And maybe it struck you too when you read the Scriptures, especially the books of Psalms and Proverbs, how often the psalmist or the writers complain about the bearing of false witness. For example, in Psalm 27, David complains, false witnesses rise up against me. There are always these people who seek to destroy me by destroying my reputation. And so taking away my life. But again, beloved, as we said earlier, false witness only scratches the surface. There's a lot more. There's a host of other verbal sins. The catechism gives you a list. For example, word twisting, gossiping, slandering, rash judgments, unheard of condemnations, one-sided condemnations, lying, deceit. Or taken together, what damage these sins can do. I think we all know something about that, right? As a child, you get frustrated and sometimes you call your parents some really bad names. As a parent, you lose your cool and you begin to yell insults, demeaning insults at your children. As a husband, you're tired and you lash out at your wife. And as a wife, you're put out and fed up with your husband and you put him down. And as a friend, you may at times put your friendship to the test because of the thoughtless words spewing out of your mouth. You know, we're all different. But in one sense, we're all alike. We all have, at one time or another, on one or more occasions, uttered words that hurt, that wound, that maim, that destroy. It's not for nothing that Proverbs calls words, at least certain words, arrows. Oh, and how after we've uttered them, would we not love to take them back? 
If only words had strings attached to them so that we could reel them in. At times we would pay anything. If we could take them back. At times we wouldn't hesitate to wash out our mouths with soap. If we could remove those offending words. As a spark can cause a forest fire, so a wrong word can cause a person's world to shatter. And so, beloved, watch your language. Watch your words. Pray to God, the Holy Spirit, that He will fill you with His gifts in such a way that the words coming out of your mouths do not cause pain. Pray that He will enable you to speak as your Savior spoke. You know, as you read the Gospels, does it ever strike you how awesome that every time when our Savior speaks, He speaks the right word, at the right time, in the right way, with the right effect. We need to learn from Him. And we need to be made more like Him. But still, beloved, watching our words is not the only thing that we should do. You should also, I dare say, and that's connected to all of this, you should watch your company. Unfortunately, there are toxic people out there. And by the way... And that shouldn't be so, but unfortunately that does happen. There are also toxic believers or people who claim to be believers but who are still toxic. And such people don't speak about issues or ideas. No, they speak about persons and personalities. They, they specialize in character assassination. They get secret vindictive pleasure out of taking others down. And a good time for them represents an evening gossiping and slandering other people. They only have to hear one side of the story, and they're off to the races, and they're ready to fire away. And now, of course, in a sense, I realize that's nothing new. This kind of stuff has been going on ever since the days of Adam and Eve. But do you realize that this kind of thing has become so much more dangerous today? And how has it become more dangerous? Well, the Internet. You know, before, if you wanted to spread your poison... You had to do it one person at a time or one group of people at a time or you had to write letters. I don't think anybody writes letters anymore today, do they? But today, you compose one particular message, you fire up your computer, you open Facebook, and you hit send. And you can do much greater, more devastating damage than ever before. And it's happening. It's happening regularly. Two people get into a fight. 
and the one decides to use Facebook for revenge. Words and pictures are used like heat-seeking missiles to blow up other people's lives. And it all begs the question, how are you using the social media today? I'm not saying that the social media, I'm not saying that Facebook in and of itself is a bad invention. It can be very good. You know, it's a bit like a hammer. You can use a hammer to build or to bash. So the question is, how are you using these modern means of communication? And by the way, you parents, are you teaching and monitoring your children? Every season I teach catechism, I see more iPods or cell phones. Sometimes it leaves me scratching my head as to why kids need cell phones. And it also makes me wonder what's all on those iPods. So are you sure that your children are using these means for good and not evil? And indeed, are they using them, as the Catechism says, to defend and promote their neighbor's honor and reputation? It could be that you've never really taken a close look at the Ninth Commandment. A lot of people, when they are asked, what's the Ninth Commandment about? They say, oh, you shall not lie. That's not what the Ninth Commandment is about. It refers, first of all, as we saw, to false witness. Second, it adds against your neighbor. Never detach false witness false speech from your neighbor. In other words, this commandment is saying that truth is is never just something abstract, something out there. No, truth is always something in relationship to your neighbor. And then perhaps you understand, how could the Hebrew midwives lie to the Egyptian authorities about those Hebrew boy babies and be blessed by God? That ties a lot of people into an ethical knot. And how come that Rahab the harlot could lie and be blessed by God? And how come that King David could lie to King Achish? He wasn't King David then, but he would be, and be blessed by God. And there are more instances. Oh, beloved, the secret is in the neighbor part. It underlies the fact that words are meant to protect and to promote others. And may that be happening. May that be happening with you and in your life. May the fruits of your lips be sweet and not sour. 
May your words bring blessing and not blemish. And indeed, take a moment and reflect on the words that you uttered last week. Were they a building, encouraging, stimulating, inspiring, reassuring? Were they nice? Did you, and that's really bringing it down to basics, but did you tell your spouse that you loved him or her? Did you tell your children, do you ever tell your children that you love them? You tell your friends. You know, a lot more openness wouldn't hurt. And an extra dose of verbal tenderness is something that never Backfires. It'll win you favor with man and with God. For your heavenly Father, your precious Savior, your consoling Spirit, have no use for words that cause pain and tears. They would rather have you speak as they speak, communicate as they communicate, and love as they love. So love the truth as you find it in the triune God and in the Word. Speak it and confess it and promote it always. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.